So our first week of this Christmas series, which I have titled Seen, uh, what was seen was the, in the incarnation of Christ Jesus was the invisible God. The invisible God made visible. That's what was seen as we celebrate this Christmas season. Now last week, what was seen was the glory of God. Which, as we unpacked it, we discovered this, this manifest glory was really the very nature and character of God. It wasn't just about some, like, glowing light that was some weird thing. Instead, it was the very character and nature of God on display in perfection. Mainly, His goodness. His goodness. The goodness of God on display. Which, of course, since Jesus is God has perfectly displayed God's goodness, his nature, and his character. And that as we see it, and this light of his goodness shines to us, it transforms us. It transforms us as we too then are transformed into Christ. And as the scripture says, he takes us from one degree of glory to the next, slowly and surely until final glory where we will be like him without sin. So this glory that shines so brightly can then shine in us as he sanctifies us and matures us and, and grows us. Then we begin to look more and more like him. Not physically, of course, but in our nature and, and in, our, in our heart. We look more like him. And our lives with this new nature in Christ begin to shine. And so then we were invited by the text then to shine, to allow our lights to shine and to be seen, to be exposed Allow ourselves to be transparent before others that we are not perfect. But look at what God has done in us. Look at what he is doing in me. He is shining his goodness even on me. And he can shine it on others too. So this third week, what is seen then is full joy. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John, the very end of your Bibles, just before Revelation, uh, 1 John We'll be looking at chapter 1 today. You know, there's something about the Christmas season that just uh, has this idea of joy that is to be expected. This is the season, of course, after all, of peace and hope and joy. This is the storyline of every Christmas movie, isn't it? Where this sad, lonely person from the city ends up in a, a foreign, small, nostalgic town with a cabin... Right? You hear me describing every Christmas movie where it turns out to be this Christmas just all comes together. Everything falls into place perfectly. Their true self is really discovered. Uh, every little detail is enjoyed when that's not the case in the city. Families are reunited. Friendships are fixed. Love is kindled. Everything's perfect and it all comes back to an overwhelming sense of joy. That's what every Christmas is about, is, is joy, isn't it? The movies all center on this happiness, which is joy. That's the storyline of the perfect Christmas season, is joy. So then it becomes a subtle expectation in people, in us. A subtle expectation that everything falls into place when there's joy. But when joy is the promise, everything comes together. Relationships are good. I feel good. I, I'm, I'm discovering who I really am and what I really am good at and what I like. This is what joy is, isn't it? It's about being satisfied in where I am. 
Well, of course, that is what joy is, but it's not found in a small, nostalgic town somewhere else. The, the, and then because we have this expectation or this desire for that version of joy and happiness, every store then has a product that's going to sell you this happiness, isn't it? Well, yeah, you want that? We have just what you need on sale. And come and get it on Boxing Day. It's half off. Every store is just begging for you to buy into this idea of what is joy, that everything's perfect and nothing goes wrong and you're always going to be happy. The stores are expecting you to want that and so they're trying to sell it to you, the perfect smell, the perfect look, the perfect feel. And we have it for you. That's what this whole season seems to be wrapped up in with this goal of this, say we, shall we say, a false sense of joy. This concept of, quote-unquote, joy at Christmas. But it's not just Christmas which sells you this version of joy. Perhaps it's a version of Christianity that sells you this version of joy. Oh, yeah, you're sad and you're lonely and you're broken and you're addicted. Just come to Jesus and everything's great. Oh, there's blessings that flow and everything's perfect. You won't. Why would you get sick? God loves you. All these versions of Christianity, which are not, in fact, Christianity and which is not, in fact, Christmas, is this false joy. What we want is full joy, which the Bible doesn't only just talk about. It says can be yours. Fullness of joy. Well, what is this full and genuine joy? In 1 John chapter 1, I'm going to read from uh, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 2. Let's hear God's word together. Here's verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and we have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, when we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Christ. And in writing these things, so that our joy may be complete. And this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have, sin, have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we have made him to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here in this morning, in this passage, there's a, a, 
progression I'm going to make. First, we're going to look at an intimate experience. And then we see who is seen, what's the end goal, and then how do we get there? So first, let's look at this intimate experience described by the author here, John, in verse 1 again. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. We have heard. It's not just something we have heard about or heard through another, but we ourselves have heard. And we have seen with our eyes. It's not just we have seen. For, for him, obviously, for John, he had seen with his physical eyes. Jesus walked before him. He's seen it. He has seen the power on display. He has seen the love, the mercy, the justice, the hatred towards sin, the love for the lowly. He has seen it with his eyes. And it carries on and says, and we have looked upon or we have gazed. We didn't just see it in passing, like most billboards or advertisements that come up. You see them. We have looked upon it. We have gazed upon it. We have watched. We have been intentional. We have been intent on gazing upon this very thing. And we have touched it with our hands. With our hands. It's a full experience. We have heard and seen and gazed and touched and experienced. Verse 2 carries on. It says, The life that was made manifest, we have again seen it. And we testify. So now it's beginning to flow through the person. It's not just a, 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 an input. It is now something that is wanting to flow through. Something so exciting. Something so overwhelming. So interesting. It must be shared. We testify to it. And we proclaim it to you. And verse 3 that which we have again seen and heard, we proclaim it to you. That whole concept of, of seeing is wrapped up in these three verses four times. It is a, a, a gazing, a something to witness, to, to experience personally. John says there is something so amazing that we have seen. Well, what is it? Is it simply a miracle man walking on earth? Was that what they had seen? Was that what was, what was so exciting, so overwhelming, he must proclaim it? It was just that this, this special miracle man who healed the sick. It was more, much more than that. He breaks it down as we look at the next point, which is who is seen, truly? Who is seen? Not just what, but who. Verse 1 again. That which was from the beginning... That which was from the beginning. You hear in that Alpha and Omega. You hear in that Genesis, in the beginning. You hear in that John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You hear that in this language resounding. Who is seen? Whoever was seen was, was in the beginning, existed in the beginning. If there is this time that we understand and comprehend, that which we are gazing upon already was. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, we have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. It is the beginning and the word of life. 
the very thing that breathes life into all existence. Verse 2 says, it is the life that was made manifest. We have seen it. It was something that was existing, this life now made manifest, now seen, pre-existing, but now witnessed with our very eyes and our very experience of our whole selves. This which was from the beginning, this life, we have seen it. We testify to it, we proclaim to you, and it carries on in verse 2, the eternal life. This isn't just a special life. This isn't just like the prophets of old or somebody maybe represented this is, as he says, we are proclaiming to you the eternal life. He's not just proclaiming a message. That's the amazing thing. He's proclaiming a person. And yet he calls this person the eternal life. That never had a beginning. Never was born. Never was created. Something our minds cannot fathom. But yet, here he is. And that's why John's so intent on gazing upon and, and examining. What is this thing? This was from the beginning, and yet it was before the beginning. This is the eternal life, which was, as it says, carries on with the Father and was made manifest. Again, now displayed to us. And then down in verse 5, this is the message you've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So this, which was from the beginning, this, the word of life, the eternal life with the father. So one with the father, part of the triune God is now seen. And what do we see but light? He is, he is light. As you read in Revelation about the end and the new heavens and the new earth, it says that there is no need for a sun or a moon or any source of light because God himself is light. Here, this is what has been manifest. And here, interestingly, in verse 5, this version of light is about his purity and, and this no darkness in him at all. There is no dark place like there is in you and me. There is no hidden crevice. There is no anything he needs to hide or, or make up for. There is no darkness in him at all. So John then saying, this is the very thing we are gazing upon, latching onto. We need to see it. And it's a person. This person manifested like none other before who is eternal and who is life and who is light. This is Jesus. But what is the end goal John wants to get to in seeing and in experiencing and in beholding this Son of God? The end goal, look at verse 3. Halfway through, he says, So that we have seen and we have heard and we proclaim it to you. Here's why we proclaim it. He says, So that, there's two reasons he gives, you too may have fellowship with us. Which is interesting because fellowship with John seems like not a big deal or it seems like not a great deal at all, actually. Fellowship among those who were persecuted. Fellowship among those who were uh, um, Peter hung upside down on a cross, crucified. John himself uh, cast to 
an island. Fellowship with you. Oh, we're counted with you. Oh, this is great. We get to be part of your team. We're just like you. That's not the, the beauty of this fellowship with him. He says, I'm proclaiming this to you so that you can have fellowship with us because our fellowship, our relationship, he carries on in that verse in verse 3, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I'm proclaiming what I have seen and experienced and heard, what I've been transformed by. I'm I'm proclaiming the Son who is eternal. I'm proclaiming him to you so that you may have fellowship with him, which is a foreign concept. We who do have darkness in us, we who have offended God, we who walk our own way so often can yet have fellowship. Friendship, closeness, relationship. It's when it's proclaimed, what, when it's not just proclaimed about this miracle man or about a baby in a manger, but who Christ is and what he ultimately does. The end goal is fellowship with God. It is relationship with God. It is restoration with God. That's the first goal. And then the second goal is once you have that, once you have fellowship with God, verse 4 tells us, and we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete or may be full. Full joy. True joy. All satisfying joy that is not dependent on a perfect season. All of you have hard seasons in life. None of us escape it. None of us. Not a single person in this room has had a peachy life. There's always, whether it's a long season or short seasons, lots of seasons or a few. All of us have seasons where we are so dark, so lost, so lacking in what the world would describe as joy or or happiness. So then, how can we have what here is John saying, the goal is complete joy, satisfying joy. And the Apostle Paul, in other places, rejoice always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. And you think, that sounds good, but you don't know my life. You don't know what I'm going through or have gone through or what I'm going to go through next week. To rejoice always? Do you know what I'm, I'm going through? Of course he does. Because this joy is not circumstantial on what's going on around you. It doesn't matter how many beautiful Christmas lights are or how much snow is perfectly not on the road or sidewalk, but just on the Christmas tree. Like, it's not based on anything else surrounding us or outside of us that is perfect or that has come together or that we can manufacture. It's not a product. It's not anything else that you can be grasping in this world because joy is satisfaction it really is so the idea of the christmas movies is this character is ultimately satisfied in the end they're satisfied with their new location and their new partner and their new this and their new that they're satisfied only for a moment until everything goes wrong but that's not given to you right we get this picture perfect joy but it is, it is a glimpse of what true joy is. is it is satisfaction. It is okay, I'm content now where I am. I am content where I am. And so John says, 
the very thing that I'm giving to you is not so you can just like googly eye over at a baby or this nice Christmas story that brings warm, fuzzy feelings. He says, ultimately, I want you to have a joy that is unshaken no matter the season, no matter what comes or goes, no matter what life holds on the outside, there can be a joy that is complete, that is satisfactory, the fullness of a fellowship with God. That's why Jesus is the joy. Because it's fellowship with God. And that relationship is not dependent on if you're healthy or not. Your relationship and fellowship with God is not dependent on if you have uh, had a good week or a bad week. If finances are tight, if your relationship is strained, your fellowship with God is not dependent on any of those things. And here's the beauty of our fellowship with God. It is not even dependent on if you have sinned today. Because if you are found in Christ, in fellowship with Jesus, your sin today does not break your fellowship with God. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the message that John and every other author in the scriptures is trying to present to, you, to us. Is when we are in fellowship, genuine fellowship with God, it is not broken by our sin. Because Christ has made that relationship solid. He has made that relationship whole because that sin that you commit today, Jesus broke fellowship with God the Father. He sat in opposite chambers of the judge as condemned. He was the one who had that brokenness, that separation on your behalf. So therefore, if you are in Christ the rest of your life, you are in fellowship with God even when you don't deserve it, day in and day out. And that is satisfying. It is heart-wrenching because I know that I shouldn't be in fellowship with God when I'm walking in sin or when I've sinned again and again and again. That my fellowship should be broken and instead Jesus took that for me. That's why he came. That's why he is so amazing to gaze upon. That this who was from the beginning, who was with the Father in perfect relationship, broke that because of my sin. He broke it and he came who was from eternity past. He entered into a material world full of brokenness, sin, and people who would disappoint so that my sin could be dealt with and my fellowship with God would not be broken because of my screw-up today and tomorrow. That is satisfaction, and it's only found in Jesus. That is fullness of joy, no matter what else is going on in this world. There can be true and genuine happiness and, and satisfaction in Jesus on your darkest of days because you look and you say, and God has not abandoned me. And God is still for me. And God is still with me. And I am still forgiven. And there is still freedom from my sin this, how do, we, how do we get to this fullness of joy is inseparably wrapped up in, uh, in how do we get there? Sorry, is, is the goal is this joy. How do we get there? Look at verse 4 again. So we're writing these things so that your joy may be complete. It says, this is the message that we have heard from him. We proclaim it to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Verse 6. And if we say we have fellowship with him, and we walk in darkness, we lie. 
We do not practice the truth. I don't need to tell you that, uh, we'll just let this text remind us, that living a lie is not joyful. You try to live a lie, there is never joy in that. It's lie upon lie upon lie. So living in a lie is not joyful. Here it says, if you walk in darkness, you do not practice the truth. You're living in a lie. But it says in verse 7, but if we walk in the light. And what is the light? The light isn't just this mystical, everything's good and happy and I'm all right. No, the light is exposing, isn't it? The light shows where there's dirt and rubbish in me. That's what the light does. Walk in the light. Walk in the truth that says you're not perfect. And you're never going to be perfect. Walk in that light as he is in the light. Verse 5 says God is light. When we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Our fellowship's not broken. It's not hidden behind a wall of lies. And I'm trying to keep up, you know, with the Joneses. And you're trying to keep up this perfect picture. When we tell the truth and we are in the light, we can say, I admit that there is parts of my life that God is still chiseling away at. And it's painful. And like last week, I'm inviting you to watch because you get to see the goodness of God that even though this is a dark and and horrible area of my life or it's a hard area of my life or this is a temptation I struggle with, you see how God is good? You see how God is good? We invite people into that and we invite people into that fellowship. We have fellowship with one another, it says, and, verse 7 said, second half, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It cleanses us. Not that we are now perfect and do not sin. Instead, our record, the very thing that condemns us, the very thing that traps us and robs us of joy that says, God doesn't love you. I mean, look at your list. Look at that. Oh, you sinned in that way? God can't love you. God is holy, don't you remember? And he cannot be in fellowship with sin. That laundry list of your sins that your heart reminds you of every day. It says here, the blood of Jesus cleanses that. It cleanses it. Because Jesus took that list and he was condemned indeed. He was separated from the Father. So that therefore, those sins are now done away with. They're cleansed. There's no more record of wrong that stands against you. And so you can have fellowship then with God. Cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. That's for all people who want to think they're living life, that they're good enough. That, oh, well, I don't really need Jesus. I'm just kind of a good enough person, and I hope God will, you know. What? Like, you're lying to yourself. You are not good enough. God is holy and expects perfection. And the only one perfect was Jesus. So have him as your substitute. Have him as the one who stands on your behalf. Same thing with us as Christians. If we say, well, yeah, well, now I'm a Christian. I, I, you know, I don't really sin. You're lying to yourself. Evaluate. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict your heart so that the truth may be in us. Because then there's this promise. One of the most precious promises you ought to memorize, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will do it if we confess. 
We confess originally and we put our lives on him and Jesus is our confession and we are cleansed from all unrighteousness. And then we don't just carry on and live life thinking, well, now I get to walk in sin because I'm cleansed, right? I got my check mark. I'm good for the rest of my life. That's, that's lying to yourself as, as the verse carries on and says. He says in verse 1 of the next chapter, I'm telling you these things so you don't sin. I'm telling you this, that you have Jesus, so don't offend Jesus by intentionally walking in darkness, by intentionally walking in sin. If you do that, he says, the truth's not in you. The one who walks in the light is constantly being exposed, constantly confessing their sin, not saying that if you've, if you've sinned right now and you forget to confess and you die in 10 minutes, you're going to hell because you got the sin on your record. That's not how it goes. We've confessed our sins and Christ has forgiven all our sin, it says. We still confess, admitting to God, this is a sin that I have, I've just come aware of. This is a sin that I have just committed. And I know that Jesus has paid it all. And I'm sorry for it. And I don't want to live this way. I want to walk in the light. I want to be right with you. I don't want there to be any hindrance. I don't want there to be any clouds between me and you, God. That's why we just continue to confess our sins. Not so that we will ultimately be saved. He has saved us. He has dealt with our sin. We do it so that our relationship with God is right. Our relationship with God is, is constantly in, in the light and in the open. And, and we do that with others, too, so that our relationship is not just like one built on lies. We have this precious promise that if we confess our sins, he will forgive us. Each of us is invited to do that. Confess. Confess that we are not perfect and that hinders us from God. That has broken our fellowship from God. We are that person in the Christmas movie who's broken. We're in the wrong place. We have the wrong relationships and everything's not working. That's true. We confess that. But God, through Christ, is faithful to forgive us. To forgive us, to welcome us back, even though we didn't try to earn that or didn't deserve it because of Christ. Often we beat ourselves up because of our continued sin. I don't know about you, but I do. We rob ourselves of joy, maybe, because of this continued sin in our lives. Or we allow a demonic lie to cast doubt on like the efficacy of the gospel to truly save us or to truly transform us because I'm still sinning. Because I said here in verse 9, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Then why am I so unclean? Why? Am I not his? Don't, don't I get the gospel? We feel as though if we are saved and cleansed that we ought to be perfect or at least closer to perfect. But verse 10 reminds us, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar. And if his word is not in us. We do sin. We have this nature in us that wants to rebel against God. But verse 1 of the next chapter, he said, I'm writing these things to you. I'm putting on display Jesus so that you don't sin. Make him your motivation. Make that joy, that fellowship, that rightness with God your motivation to not sin. And then verse 1 is beautiful. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have someone who will stand on our behalf, who will hold us up, who will walk with us. We have an advocate with the Father. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous we are the unrighteous, but our advocate is the righteous one, the eternal one, the one who was and is and is to come. This is our advocate, the one who carries us to the Father and says, this one's forgiven. 
They're forgiven. If you do sin, remember your advocate. Remember Jesus. Verse 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins. The wrath absorption for our sins. Our sins and all of the record do wrath from God. But the propitiation, which was Jesus, meant he absorbed all of the wrath. So there's now nothing left for you. When the wrath is due your sin, Jesus absorbed it. So now there is only love, only fellowship, only welcome and forgiveness left for you if you are in Christ. That's what John is presenting to us. That is what is seen here this morning is full joy. Is that not what satisfaction is truly all about? Is knowing that you can be right with God, not based on circumstance, not based on the time of your life, but for for the rest of eternity. You can be right with God because of what Christ has done. He puts this on display. This is what we ought to see, that there is fullness of joy. See it. See him and see the way to it is through the forgiveness of your sins because of Christ. What Christ has accomplished. So we go there again and again and we say, thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven me. That's where fullness of joy is found. Let's not buy into the substitute promises of a Christmas season or a false version of Christianity that says, oh, fellowship with God equals no pain and blessing only. No trials. That's baloney. We live in a real light that, that exposes the hurts and the pains. We walk with one another through hurts and pains and trials and tribulations, but at the same time having this underlying joy that we can point each other to. And that's not to say that you always remember this, that I always remember this, that I'm always like, yeah, underlying, I have this happiness when my life is a mess. But that's where we need one another to remind us. That's where John is doing this. He says, I want, I want you to experience this fullness of joy. Remember, no matter what else is going on, maybe you're blinded by a situation and so you need someone else to say, remember, you can be satisfied in Jesus. You can be in fellowship with God because your sins are forgiven. You have embraced him as your savior. Remember, remember, Don't let this thing distract you from remembering. Don't let this thing rob you of genuine joy in God. That's the joy of Christmas. Is it reminds us of the incarnation of Christ and what he came to do. He came to live on your behalf, die in your place, and then reign victorious. So that you and others like you may point one another to Christ and say, there is joy. There is joy. It's in Christ. It's in nothing else. Other things make us happy, but they come and they go. But Christ never fades, and he never fails, and he never will. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that no matter what this life holds for us, No matter how dark it may become, no matter how uh, joyous we may have short seasons or long seasons, regardless, you are there as a constant. And we are so thankful that even though it is our sin that separates us from you, our sin that robs us of joy, and the, the wrong in our life that has done that, that we have forgiveness because Christ has paid 
for that sin. He has absorbed the wrath. God, let us remember that. Let us embrace that. Let us say that we need you. Let us walk in the light and the truth. Let us help one another to do that so that at the end of the day, in the darkest of seasons, we may say, it is well with my soul. There is joy and there is satisfaction because I know God. Even though I can't feel it right now, maybe. Oh God, there may be some people right now in this moment who cannot feel a relationship with you. They, they are expecting something else. I pray you would remind them of what it means to be satisfied, knowing that you are good, that you are faithful to forgive, and that we can have relationship both now and forevermore with you because of Christ. We thank you for this reminder this morning and pray that it would transform the way we experience joy this season and share it with others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.